Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Oh, that's just about as good as Uncle Rico, man. That makes me laugh every time. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Having a great preseason on my Dynasty teams. I was a multiple uh, share owner of Tajay Sharp, and uh, I also own Khalil Mack, who was recently moved over to a defensive end designation. Just, Just loving the changes so far. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We were just talking here before we went live about uh, what a wrecking ball Alfred Morris looked like the other night. And as we so often do, we get cut off by the five-second uh, warning. I uh, just just wanted to say, if you're, you know, I, I didn't really think he Morris had much value, but if Dallas is a team that's going to be leading the second half, uh, don't be surprised if Morris is the guy back there. But you know, he's, he's a reliable guy. He doesn't fumble very often. And with them wanting to keep Elliott fresh throughout the season. And, you know, even if McFadden is out, they just look to look for uh, Morris to be the guy to ground and pound, maybe run that clock out for Dallas. He could be a, he could be a solid play there, especially down, down the stretch there. So any thoughts on that matter? Nick? Um, no, I, I agree with you. You know, I thought he was a little bit washed up the last year in Washington, but you know, sometimes guys have a chip on their shoulder when their first team uh, doesn't offer them a new contract. So yeah, definitely a good sleeper pick there. Uh, yeah, definitely, and you know, obviously, no, no, to the Washington offensive line, but the, making that move to the Dallas offensive line is not going to hurt any running backs value, that's for sure. Um, last week, uh, as I so often do, I'm, I'm a little bit. Uh, my friends call me uh, an overcompensator, I guess you'd say. So I'm always writing the, uh, like sometimes, like when the podcast gets done because I'm like just so fresh and hot and in the zone, I start writing the, the write up for the next podcast, which is, you know, a whole seven days later. And then unfortunately, sometimes we miss news clips that happen our news that happens the first couple of days leading up to the podcast. And I wrote down last week to talk about the DGB trade and I didn't flip my piece of paper over until after the uh, podcast there. Nick, what, what are your thoughts now that we've had a week to, to simmer and think about the, DGB to Philadelphia. Um, well, I don't think it affects his value all that much, but I, I think it helps the Eagles quarterbacks' values, probably hurts the Eagles wide receivers' values, but definitely is a little bit of a bump to the Tennessee wide receiver values. Don't think it hurts more Mariota's value, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. You know, I if if he's effective, even if it's in a minimal role, I think it's actually going to help Jordan Matthews because just to have another guy, a uh, big guy that can stretch the field, and if they continue to use Matthews in the slot, I think uh, I think it could really, really help him. Um, does not help uh, Nelson Aguilar. And, you know, the other thing I think with this trade and uh, our good buddy Luke Grilly, who runs the Never Ending Pod, Never Ending Glory podcast that you can also hear W here, made a good point. I mean, what is – wrong with Taz or it's not Taz what is wrong with DGB that they would just get rid of him already for a backup offensive lineman he 
came in, I guess, a little out of shape. And, you know, if he's not grasping the playbook, you know, that's that, that's cert- certainly an issue. Um, you know, there are obviously a lot of changes took place during the last year there in Tennessee, too. So maybe some people didn't agree with him. Um, <laughs> somebody else on Twitter put it, uh, well, you know, maybe maybe the Tennessee brass are just idiots, too. So <laughs> and they don't, <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. So uh, that's a good point there, too. I mean, obviously. Uh, for Philadelphia, it's a pretty, a pretty uh, low risk move that could help, hopefully, reap benefits for that organization. Um, they're obviously a team that's never accustomed to making uh, crazy moves. You know, everybody gave Chip Kelly so much guff for what he did when he was there, but Philly always seems to be making the the, the uh, news headline moves that uh, make people think a little bit, but. Uh, and sometimes they work out, and sometimes they don't. But uh, yeah, just an interesting thing. So, interesting move. We'll see how it works out for Philadelphia. I don't. I don't. DGB owners should be very excited for him this year, though. Maybe, maybe a year to simmer. And I to simmer. And I know the Doug Peterson offense is a little bit, probably more, more vanilla in terms of an NFL offense. So maybe, maybe if he's just their deep threat, their red zone guy, he could certainly help them out in some aspects this year, but look for him potentially to, uh, excuse me, break out next year as I think we'll have a clearer picture of what's going on with that Philadelphia uh, wide receiver crew. Um, moving forward, I'd, I wanted to make a solemn promise. Maybe me and Nick could make it together, I guess you could say. I want to ask Nick to make a blood oath surrounding the fate of some of a certain wide receiver, Nick. Uh, you know, I talked last week we should maybe do a segment after roster cuts called What the Hell Are You Doing? And we look at each other's rosters on the leagues that we're in together and be like, why is this guy in your roster? Um, and I happened to notice the other day that for some reason, me and you are both still holding a share of Marquis Lee. Do you still, is that right? You still have him in DFW 16? I do, but again, uh, roster cuts haven't come down yet, so I usually <laughs> wait for my roster cuts until the very end. I mean, who knows? Both the Allen Hearns and Robinson could get injured this week. That would really boost Lee's value. So, yeah, he probably won't be on my final roster, but I do have him right now. And at least to your credit, that team was drafted last year. I have Lee on a team that I drafted him as a rookie, and I'm Still holding on to him. So when you're ready, maybe that maybe you could just text me and we could you know both click the button together and drop some blood and into the earth and <laughs> make a promise to never pick it back up again. I don't know. It's just like, oh, I mean, I'm same league I have in my head. Richard Green. I'm just like, well, it's like I either cut one of them or I suppose I could just cut both of them. I mean, what what does it matter at this point? I I actually believe a little bit more in Green, but yeah. Oh, Mark Heasley. At least you got Tyshay Sharp in that week, though, right? Yep, yep, that's right. Pretty okay, funny that Mark so, Heasley was drafted ahead of Allen Robinson looking back, isn't it? And that Mark Heasley was drafted ahead of Odell Beckham in some rookie drafts. So that's that's pretty crazy. We're talking about two potential top five wide receivers. Um, and yet people are still all about this. USC Juju Schuster Smith guy. I I preach caution. I I've I've seen the I've seen the fire of USC wide receivers and I put my hand in there and I've gotten burned. So um moving forward we're gonna do a lot of things that we normally do. Um Dynasty Dilemma coming up here in just a second as we pit 
Latavius Murray versus Jeremy Macklin. Uh, do a little veteran uh, bust watch, bust veteran bust alert. Now, I thought I could get really kind of creative and possibly graphic with the pitcher for veteran bust watch, but I I decided not to. I just I decided to let the, the words be funny there. So, some dynasty trade analysis, uh, one actual redraft trade analysis. Um, for or against, uh, Nick's going to rant. It's been a while. i got a couple bold predictions for you. We're going to talk about a couple quarterbacks you might want to consider. And then, uh, last but not least, best number 45. Um, that's all I'll say about that for right now. Uh, but let's get to our dynasty dilemma. Like I said, uh, this is something that we do each and every week. We pit two players against each other. Um, this week we're doing Latavius Murray versus uh, Jeremy Macklin. Uh, always interesting when we can do two players that play different positions. So let's just play the the short clip here and get going. Okay, so I had the chance to go first. I chose uh, Latavius. Um, Like I said earlier, I love it when we get a would get to put players of different positions to pit them against each other. Uh, but let's dispel a myth right away here. Uh, Murray, that Murray is not a pass catcher. He caught 41 of 53 targets. And I really don't care if he averaged 5.7 yards per catch. Murray is not going to produce outlandish receiving stats, but 41 receptions as when his first year as a full-time starter, well, I think that's great in the PPR world, at least that I live in. Sure, they, there there is a realistic possibility that Murray is just a two-down back, but it, but if these rookies can't block, I think Murray has proven that he is not a, not a liability in the uh, passing game. Macklin finally produced a, a back-to-back thousand-yard receiving seasons, but he did see a small regression in targets and yards per catch from 2014 to 2015, and now for some forgotten news, and perhaps a controversy you never heard of, the Chiefs decided to fill their OC void with not one, but two coaches, and neither of them named Eric the Enemy, who was their running back coach and a very intricate part of their scheming since Reed has joined, since Reed has been with the team. Apparently, Fat Andy will still call the plays, and the 57-year-old Brad Childress, yes, that ex-Vikings coach, Brad Childress, and 37-year-old Matt Nagy, their former quarterback coach, will also have inputs. Uh, This does not ever sound like good news for a team's passing game. Combine that with captain check down at quarterback, and I believe the Kansas City offense might be even more conservative this year and potentially moving forward. Macklin also missed the entire 2013 season after Terry his ACL. While he has recovered well, some dynasty owners viewed leg damage as detrimental to the stallions that we call wide receivers. Kansas City also continues to try to add weaponry around Macklin, and his targets also may drop again. We've seen Conley. We've even seen Albert Wilson do some things. They added another one into Marcus Robinson this year. We know how much they rely on Travis Kelsey as well. Um, And I just think with the different changes in coaching, things could certainly change. For all the naysayers that Latavius Murray has, I cannot believe that there isn't more forethought into the stout offensive line that is now surrounding him. Murray is a big back, and therefore peeps think he's only a north-south guy. That is not true. He is actually nimble, and he can turn the corner with the best of them. His improved offensive line will let him do that more. Murray averaged a respectable but not jaw-dropping 4.0 yards per carry last season. 
Can you honestly tell me when things matter and that O-line is gelling that Murray will average less than that? More than likely, he's going to be averaging more than that. Nick, what are your thoughts? Well, Latavis Murray, with over 300 touches last year, was a top 10 running back guy, over 1,200 yards combined. And I'm not going to lie, he'll probably do it again this year, as the Raiders didn't add much competition other than the rookie DeAndre Washington for uh, for touches in the backfield. But after this year, I think all bets are off. I'd actually be surprised if Murray was the every-down workhorse guy going into 2017. It's not that he's a bad player. He's not. But he's not a great player either. And so usually if you're not a great player, you're going to eventually wind up as part of a running back by committee. And while his season totals were pretty decent, he did last year have seven games with under 50 rushing yards, and he's only scored eight touchdowns over the last two seasons. Speaking of touchdowns, when Jeremy Macklin signed with Kansas City last offseason, then he assumed his fantasy relevance was over. After all, the Chiefs wide receivers scored zero touchdowns the previous year. But Macklin proved the haters wrong with 87 catches, 1,088 yards, and eight touchdowns. Yep, that's the same number of touchdowns as Murray had in two years, Jeremy Macklin had in one year, and that's with captain check down Alex Smith at quarterback. And at only 28 years old, Jeremy Macklin should have three to five more good seasons as a wide receiver. Yes, Murray, I think, has a higher one-year redraft upside, but a very low dynasty floor over time. While with Macklin, you've got a wide receiver two or three for likely, again, three to five years, which is a long time in the NFL. Uh, One thing I will admit about Murray, though, his ADP is too low at uh, 6.12. That's behind Jeremy Langford, Jeremy Hill, Melvin Gordon, Derrick Henry, and DeMarco Murray. I would take Latavius Murray over any of those guys. You know, I know it's pretty rare I throw you a bone in our dilemmas, Josh, but his (laughs) ADP struck me as way, way too low at 6.12. Whereas Jeremy Macklin at 4.07, I think that sounds about right. (sighs) Yeah, you know, and actually, I'm not – not that I'm, everybody's ADP is similar, but I was actually – I came up with this dilemma trying to make the decision between these two players in a mock uh, in the sixth round. Macklin had slipped, and Murray was right there. And I was like, oh, since they maybe t- potentially have some similar ADPs, at least they're probably ranked similar on uh, MFL, um, that might be a good good one to do. Um, I do hear you. It makes sense. And Oakland did add another – uh, UDFA Jim in uh, Jalen Richard, who in case you're just waking up, I wrote a great article about. Uh, he hasn't played a whole lot so far, but uh, Oakland's very confident in him. So they they are preparing for life after Murray. So I think that's good uh, and potentially bad. You know, we see some people fizzle when they get muddy, but wherever if Murray has a good season, like I said in my article, if Murray has a good season and goes plays himself into a big contract somewhere else, you know he's at least going to see another 300 touches next year, pending he's healthy, obviously. So I, I just think sometimes you need the, to have those those guys that you guaranteed those touches because they're safe, they're safe plays. Um, you know, Macklin, I think there's going to be certain matchups where if he's going against a top cornerback, I don't know if he's a guy that you can throw in there. And that's, that's just a little reason why I would – I would lean Murray in this situation. I hear you about uh, about the longevity, but if I can get a guy I know can start, I can start with confidence because he's going to be the top dog, if you if you will, for the for the next couple years, and not not have to question if I'm going to put him in my lineup every week. I mean, obviously you question all your lineup moves, but there's certain players I think that you aren't going to bench, and I think uh, I think uh, Murray's one of those where I'm not I'm not exactly sure with that uh, Macklin sometimes. What do you think, Nick? 
Yeah, I definitely see your point there. But still, uh, you, you know, unless I'm in definite win-now mode for this season, I think I would still go with Macklin. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've done some rookie busts and we did some rookie sleepers. Now it's time for some veteran busts. Did we do veteran? Yeah, we did non-rookie sleepers. I changed it to a little veteran bust watch this week, Nick. So what? just thought we'd come up with a couple names each for you. So what do you got for us first there? Uh, well, first off, I'm going to go with Carson Palmer. Uh, there's a number of the top ten quarterbacks for this year that I'm not really high on, but Par- Carson Palmer's right up at the top. Uh, you know, he missed ten games in 2014. His best wide receiver, Fitzgerald's another year older. Uh, Palmer is a guy I'm most definitely rooting for. I would love to see him and the Cardinals win the Super Bowl, but I, it's just tough for me to see back-to-back 4,600-yard, 35-touchdown seasons. Wow. Interesting. Well, and – I don't necessarily disagree with you. I hear what you're saying because uh, those people that like to, to wait on quarterback, I'm um, speaking of waiting on quarterback. I waited the longest I possibly could. And I maybe could have waited around longer, but I waited on quarterback in a mock that I'm doing right now. And I ended up not taking a quarterback till around 13 and it was still up. Rivers. So I, that's, that's a fairly decent quarterback and there's some good options out there. Um, Palmer probably going before that, I would gather. And so, I mean, I guess you would consider him a bust if he is your number one quarterback, but I think only people that wait on quarterbacks are gonna are probably gonna be drafting him. So I I guess some and and I only say that because I feel like sometimes my definition is a of a bust is a guy that you at least draft to be a starter. And sometimes I believe, especially in redraft, I think busts are guys that you draft in the first like five rounds. I'm not saying that you're wrong for having Palmer as, as a bust. It, it totally makes uh, sense to me because people that draft veterans like that, no matter where you get them, you're going to count on them just because of their veteran status. But I, I, I thought I'd reach a little bit higher with, with some of my guys. And, and this one certainly isn't a top five round guy, but um, I think some people are really getting excited about Duke Johnson this off season. And, and I don't get it, you know, Cleveland drafted all these pass catchers, and just because Hugh Jackson is there doesn't mean Duke's all of a sudden going to be Gio Bernard. I don't think that is his. That is Robert Griffin's game, I and mean, we know he's going to be the start of it. You know, and he's got a great arm; he can throw that deep ball. He does not throw those screen passes really well. And granted, that was not necessarily showcased or made vulnerable in Washington because Albert Alfred Morris, excuse me, was not a pass catcher, but. Everybody that's excited about Duke thinks he's going to be this awesome third down back, you know, catch 50, 60 balls. I just I have worry about him as a as a running back, and I worry I worry that there's just not going to be much left for him receiving wise when you have Barnage and you have Gordon Coleman, Higgins, um, even Terrell Pryor has been looking pretty awesome. So. I just I, I feel like he could maybe just be the forgotten man at least for uh, this season. There, Nick, any thoughts? Yeah, I could see that happening. You make a great point there. I, I personally do like Duke Johnson. I don't own any, own any shares of him, but uh, I am sort of high on him this year. But yeah, like you said, there's definitely the chance that uh, that Griffin can't throw the screen pass and all those other guys eat up all the targets. Good points there. Okay, what do you got next for us, there, Nick? 
Well, how quickly could we forget that Doug Martin was a sub-500 yard running back in 2013 and 2014, even though he played 17 games in the, over those two years. Uh, you also look at the backfield there, Charles Sims is more than capable. He's better in the passing game. Uh, and Martin also had only had seven touchdowns last year, while uh, Charles Sims had four touchdowns and over 1,000 yards from scrimmage in only his second season. So I, I think Martin could, uh, could regress from, from his gaudy yardage totals from last year. Yeah, I you don't I I agree with you there, and you can't necessarily think that Martin. I think Martin Martin was second in the league up next to only Adrian Peterson for carries too. I just uh, rushing attempts, whatever you want to say. I, I just don't can happen this year, especially that Sims has proven to be an, an adequate uh, backup there, and we know Martin certainly has been very injury prone. It's like after one full season, we can forget about that. But uh, that uh, very good point there that he was a sub 500 guy last year. And now everybody's all about him. He's certainly a guy that's going round three, round four, I think redraft our dynasty just because he is the top dog. But they, one thing that I do appreciate about is both of those guys are fantasy relevant. I'm not sure if they can keep that up, but that is something to keep in mind. And it's, Certainly something if you if you feel like the the value is great there and you take Martin I think I think you can wait on Sims um, in certain circles I you know in redraft I see him I've seen him go as late as like the twelfth and thirteenth and that is you know that isn't not a, a dynasty ADP by any means or expert ADP I should say but uh, people forget about him. Um, and he's a fantasy relevant they both were very fantasy relevant too you know he's kind of like like Fred Jackson back was in the day I, I always hate to make that uh that uh correlation but he's when those th- third down guys get those five or six targets that's points you can count on so and it's but certainly better than a guy rushing you know 10 yard 10 times for uh 22 yards so um the last guy i wanted to push uh push out there is uh manuel sanders i i i just don't know what is going to be left for him there's all these issues, you know, who's going to be their quarterback? Is it Simeon? Is it Lynch? It's probably not going to be Sanchez at this point. I feel like he's somehow lost his chance, a golden opportunity to lead a team into the playoffs again, and he seems to have fizzled it away. But uh, as far as Manny Sanders goes, I just – I feel like there's going to be a much, much of a, a pressure on – there's going to be – excuse me, there's going to be a focus on the running game and we all know that Demarius Thomas is the guy that can go up and get it. And uh, I've, they have that they have that trio of running backs that they can count on. And I think I made the point a while ago when we debated uh, Manny versus Demarius. Gary Kubiak, in his years in the league, he's never had an under six foot wide receiver do what Manny Sanders has done there for the last couple of years. He's, I mean, that's obviously if, if somebody's going to do it, he's going to be the one to do it because he's done it before. But that it's just just that's not a role that they have in the, in this offensive scheme, and I feel like he's he's not going to be the guy that we've seen the last couple of years, especially with the uh, quarterback situation flux. There, any thoughts, Nick? Yeah, I agree with you. It's just really tough to trust a wide receiver with that is not. I mean, he's very very good, but he's not quite elite like the way Demarius Thomas is. Um, so I think it's hard to trust a, a player, a receiver that's not elite without a good quarterback situation, and they just don't have a don't have it there in Denver right now. So I'm I'm pretty much avoiding the entire Denver offense this year. <laughs> uh, which one of the eight tight ends is going to show up? Um, uh, time for some dynasty trade analysis. 
Um, I could play the clip. I need a breath anyway. One second. It's time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Okay, first one up for bid here. Jay I think it's a. They were saying a Jaihee the other night. I always thought it was a Jai. We'll have to get some clarification on that. Um, Jay Ajay and Austin Safarian Jenkins for Tyler Urban and Martellus Bennett. What do you think they make? Well, I'd say Jai has probably a better shot at production with uh, the RB1 there, Arian Foster, being way more injury-prone than the former RB1, Lamar Miller. So I would say the edge goes to a Jai there as far as the running backs. The tight ends are a little bit trickier. I think uh, Bennett's probably a lock for 500 yards and five touchdowns, whereas Austin Slary and Jenkins isn't a lock to really do anything, although reports are that he's looked quite a bit better lately and maybe re-grasping re, uh, that tight end one uh, role in Tampa Bay. But I would say that ASJ's upside far exceeds Bennett's uh, you know, unless Gronk gets hurt. So I'm going to side with the, uh, with, uh, with the Austin Ferry Jenkins and uh, JHI owner. Yeah, this is um, Burgundy and Jeff Melbestead, couple, a couple of owners here on staff. Um, the Tyler, the Tyler Irvin side is, he's basically backing up Lamar Miller there, which I don't, don't dis- disagree with. And I, and I actually am going to go the other way, Nick, because I, I can see easily Martellus Bennett and Austin Safarian Jenkins producing the same numbers, you know. A lot of, lot of Cameron Brake talk coming out of uh, Tampa Bay, and we'll see, we'll see what that leaves for uh, ASJ, and we don't know what's, what's going to happen with Jay Ajayi. I, I want him to be the starter as, as, a, as an owner of him in a couple of different legs. I absolutely want him to touch the ball 200 times, but I, I just don't know if that's going to happen at this point. You know, we know Adam Gaze says he wants a, a, I can't remember, a stable, a stable of running backs. So I think he plans to use a whole lot of different uh, players in this offense. And so I, I, I don't like getting too invested in um, Miami players right now. I'm on the fence about even keeping Jarvis Landry in the sixth round of a redraft. Keep one keeper, one league, one keeper league right now. So, um, I'm going to go with the Tyler Irvin side. I like, I love Tyler Irvin's upside, uh, uh, the potential to take over for Lamar Miller a couple of years. And I think Martellus Bennett's is going to have a pretty decent year playing opposite Gronk. You'll see a lot of two tight end sense there for uh, New England. So I'll go the other way on that one. Uh, David Johnson, Golden Tate, and John Brown for Odell Beckham. What do you think there, Nick? Well, I, I think the only way that I would give up that much for Odell Beckham is if I'm just completely stocked on wide receiver twos and threes without any wide receiver ones and loaded at running back to give up somebody as ranked as high as David Johnson. So, you know, I can see a certain scenario where it would be a good trade giving up that much, but 90% of the time I would say this is a win for Odell Beckham's uh, former owner. Yeah, I mean, Odell is obviously a top five pick in, in Dynasty drafts right now, dynasty startups, David Johnson ended the first round type of guy. So that's, that's pretty fair. And you throw in golden Tate, John Brown, who are fourth and fifth round picks. That uh, seems pretty, seems pretty weighted. And obviously, like we always say with the, with the more players on one side and you don't know, you don't magically get to start one more player because you traded one player for three. But, uh, 
you know, I really don't like Golden Tate. I'm nothing personal against him. I just haven't got – I just never had confidence that he's going to continue to do what he has done. He's, granted, he's been a, a very good player, um, and I, he's been a better player than I thought he was after he left uh, Seattle. But I still think the future there with, with David Johnson and John Brown is, is so bright. And it, it is a running back, but uh, – yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that side there too. That's seems like a whole lot to give up for Odell Beckham, especially. And yeah, I guess like you said, Nick, if you're loaded everywhere else, that that's totally fine. But I can't imagine you're loaded with much younger talent than David Johnson and John Brown. Um, Gio Bernard, Jeremy Macklin, and I think I wrote this one down wrong in the write up, Nick, or I didn't finish it. Gio Bernard, uh, Jordan Matthews, and 2017 second for Sammy Watkins. Interesting note here, the Sammy Watkins Twitter vote was 61% for Watkins there. What do you think? Yeah, I think I would have to go with the Watkins side. Uh, if that was a first-round pick and not a second, I would go the other way, um, you know, in a PP, especially if it's PPR league because Giovanni Bernard far more valuable in PPR leagues. But, uh, you know, it's a very, very close trade. It is, you know, if Watkins was in a more explosive passing attack, it would be a huge win. So uh, it re- really, really close. I think I disagree a little bit. I got, I I'm not an offensive ranker here on staff, but if if I was, I think I would have Watkins and Matthews right next to each other. So I, I think that's those two, you know, in a one for one deal, I think would be pretty even. So I would certainly have to lean the other side. You know, Gio's a guy that you can plug and play. Probably not a start every week, but he's a guy you can play in a pinch if you need to. He's going to get those targets. And yet in the second-round pick, Jordan Matthews has been a lot more durable than Sammy Watkins has. Granted, he's going to be in a new offensive scheme. But throwing in that second-round pick and Gio, I think i got to go with that other side. As much as I believe in the talent of Sammy Watkins, like you said, he's not from an explosive offense. And the fact that he's just missed so much time already, I just can't I can't plant my flag there in, in the Watkins camp. I don't own any shares. So I, I I would definitely have to shade the Jordan Matthews side here. Um, interesting one here, and I think I kind of see both sides of this trade, but we'll see what you think there, Nick. Cam Newton and Mark Ingram for Tyler Lockett, Arian Foster, Marcus Mariota, and Carson Palmer there. What do you think? Well, it's a very interesting trade. Uh, I really think that Marcus Mariota will develop into a great quarterback, but it's far from a sure thing. So I would definitely move him, an older quarterback in Palmer, an old running back in Foster, and the young wide receiver Lockett, who all indicators point to being a breakout player, but again, he hasn't done it yet. So all these guys were arguably the number one quarterback in fantasy football, Cam Newton, and a pretty decent running back, Ingram, who's had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage each of the last two years. I I definitely, I think I would give up a give up all those players to get Cam Newton marking Ingram. Yeah, I agree with you, and I would definitely lean towards that side, but I understand, you know, give give it up Newton to get a package of players because he needs to reload. I, you know, I don't have any confidence in Arian Foster staying healthy either, but, you know, you're getting giving up Newton and you're getting Palmer, so a guy that you can start this year, and you have a backup plan and a future plan there with Marcus Mariota. I don't have a lot of lot of confidence that Mark Ingram will keep going, and I I, I love Tyler Lockett at this point. So I I see this I see both sides there, and it's not necessarily a rebuilding move to give up Cam Newton, 
Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're getting Palmer and Mar- Mariota, um, you know, two guys that you can obviously play if, if you can play the matchup, too, if you wanted to. Um, and, and Lockett, I, I, it makes sense. I, I would certainly say the Newton side, but I think this is a pretty fair deal, and that makes sense. Um, kind of a crazy one here. Um, I really don't know how I feel about it. Every time I look at it, I'm just like, eh. and then I see the two first, and I'm like, what? Okay. But anyway, Randall Cobb. Philip Rivers, four, Lake Bortles, and two 2017 first. What do you think there, Nick? Oh, I think that's a flat-out steal. Uh, Randall Cobb proved last year that he's not a wide receiver one under 850 yards in 16 games. Uh, Philip Rivers is good, but he's so old and, you know, kind of lacking a little bit in talent around him other than Keenan Allen and the ancient Antonio Gates. Uh, you know, I don't think I would trade two first-round picks alone for those two guys, let alone throwing in Blake Bortles in the trade. So whoever picked up uh, Bortles in the two firsts, congratulations. Uh, yeah. I guess it, you have to be all in on Bortles if that's the case. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't – you know, every, every time I look at this trade, I feel a different way. I mean, what you said totally makes sense, and I feel like I would I would lean that side too. But I, I don't know. It's Where are, where are those 2017 firsts going to be might be a deciding factor there for me. Um, I wonder what Bortles versus Rivers was numbers-wise last year. Because I, I, I think I think Randall Cobb will actually be two with with Jordy back in the lineup. He's not a guy you can count on as a top target getter, but he's certainly a guy that can stretch the field and do some damage there. So I I think I understand both sides. Um, and you know if you have some first to throw around and you want to you want to do so, I think that's all right there too. So um, dynasty or excuse me redraft trade analysis this one comes from our buddy Jamie Will another owner here on staff text me late one night um, I don't know if this deal ever materialized but he was wondering if he should give up Keenan Allen in a redraft league for Jordan Reed and Eric Decker now, again this is a redraft trade analysis there Nick what do you think um, I think I would make that trade. Uh, you know, Reed and Allen, they're both uh, high-risk, high-reward guys. Uh, long injury histories there, but each of them also could be a potential top-five guy at the position this year. And, you know, Eric Decker, his age at the late 20s doesn't work against him in a redraft league. So I think I will give a slight edge to the side that, picked up, that would pick up Reed and Decker, but it is pretty close. Yeah, I see, like I said, I see both sides. Excuse me, like you said, I see both sides. It It is very close, but you're getting a legit number one tight end. Granted, he does have the injury history. Um, but and Eric Decker is there's there's a little bit of a drop off between Decker and Allen, I believe. But uh, what Decker has going for him is Brandon Marshall on the other side, and they proved last year that they both can be very fantasy productive players. So yeah, I, I some people some people were really against that giving up Keenan Allen, but I I feel like if you're going to give up a player of that caliber and you can get two two players, I mean, it's really not not that much of a downgrade receiver-wise. Now you're throwing in the top, a top five tight end. I think that's a pretty fair deal. I'm pretty, pretty bullish on Jordan Reed, at least this year. He's locked up contract-wise, and we know how much Kirk Cousins loved him last year. They've added Another wide receiver weapon around him. Granted, Josh Jackson's hurt right now, but he's got veteran guys that can stretch the field. 
Uh, Crowder played out of his mind last year. I think he'll continue to have continue to progress and be a very good player for Washington. So I I, I would definitely lean the Jordan Meadier Dicker side. Like you said, Nick, it's close, but I think I think and in this case, this two for one makes a whole lot of sense when you're getting quality players there. Ryan Fitzpatrick in back until obviously pushes this deal to the Decker Reed side. Um, it's time for four are against, and I shouldn't say that out loud. I'll let the clip do the talk in one second. It's time for four or against. Uh, okay, it's not like I do the music clips. Well, I kind of do them on purpose. I don't. Not trying to lose anybody's interest. Uh, but like I said before, this isn't a radio show. This is a podcast, and I we don't get commercial breaks. Every now and then, I just need to take a drink of water. Uh, thanks to my 13-year-old son for that uh, music clip. For or against this week, we're doing Thomas Rawls. This is a new new segment that we've. This is the fourth one we've done now. I think they've been going pretty well. Um, what I noticed, Nick, kind of about this segment versus the Dynasty Dilemma is I feel like it's kind of hard. It's a little bit harder. It doesn't take me as long to write, but to, I really have to think about this because what we do here for or against is uh, we, we each pick a side, and we we want five statements for one player or five statements against a player. And I feel like when I write a dilemma, I can easily just have like two ideas in my mind and expound on those paragraph-wise like I did today with Latavius versus Macklin. But now I got this is I got to write down five full points, um, not not a huge paragraph, but just basically five sentences and why I you know dislike or like this player. Do you kind of agree there, Nick? Oh, definitely. Especially once it gets down to like the fourth and fifth reason. Uh, yeah, it gets tricky. You really have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first couple pretty much flow really good, and I think maybe in season this might be a little bit uh, an easier thing to pull off, but. Uh, yeah, the first couple, you know, you always have a couple in your mind. Uh, but then, you, like you said, get on to number four and five, and it's just like, did I just say the same thing with different words? Um, but anyway, four are against uh, Thomas Rawls. Uh, Nick has the four side, so let, we'll let him go first. But yeah. Well, you look at uh, last year, he had 830 yards on only 147 carries. That's 5.6 yards per carry. So we know that if he's healthy, he can definitely play it. Crowded backfield with with draft pedigree, I think, means Rawls loses. If he loses snaps, he might not ever get them back. But most of Seattle's running backs have been dinged up and missing reps in training camp and the preseason. Especially for rookies, that makes it even more likely that uh, Rawls has a large role this year. Okay. Pass catching skills are a definite work in progress. And I feel like other wide receivers, excuse me, other running backs on this team have uh, better hands and I am a little bit worried about that. What that Seattle offensive line is going to look like moving forward. Well, I look at the team around him, and I see Russell Wilson's development as a passer, and the way that Seattle's offense really opened things up the second half of last season. I think that's going to really help to open things up for the running game to get going. Well, I I do feel like uh, he lacks elite agility. He's maybe just too much of a north-south guy. So I, I feel like that might prevent him from getting 15-plus touches uh, in consecutive games. 
possible. But uh, you look at it uh, last year, again, four 100-yard games. He even had a 200-yard game. And that's in only 13 games, some of which was uh, – some of those games he was as a backup running back to Marshawn Lynch. So I think, again, if he's healthy, the sky is the limit. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe six months or a year ago, if you would have told me I was going to make this next point, you would, I would have been like, okay, get me off the podcast. And Michael – has been looking really solid and has more history with the team. So maybe there there is a definite uh, running back by committee situation brewing there, Nick. What do you think? It's possible that Christine Michael's a late bloomer, so to speak, but we've seen him uh, not we we've seen him have opportunities before and not uh not follow through on them. But getting back to Rawls, uh you look at his injury last year and it was a broken ankle. That's not an ACL, it's not an Achilles, and at only twenty three years old I think he should be able to bounce back. Well, I think there's like Nick said, he 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 played enough last year to where we there's we like that potential, but I think that also means there is uh, plenty of Rawls tape out there. Um, there's some on him being successful, and there's some on him being contained. So I, I feel like that favors the other Seattle running backs who do, who do not have much of a volume of tape at all. So, any any other thoughts there, Nick? Any any dispelling of what I said? Um, no, just that whoever, if there is a lead back in the Seattle backfield, whoever it is, whether it's Rawls, Michael, or one of the rookies, they're going to probably be in for a pretty good year. <sighs> Jeez, I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's, I I just don't know if there's going to be a lead back. That's, that's my, my thoughts there. So, um, why not just put Tyler Lockett back there and hand him the ball? Um, they, they got options. It's good to have options. <laughs> Uh, Nick is going to rant. It's it's been a while, but uh, I gave him a little extra homework last week, so I figured, ah, oh, let's let him rant now this week. So um, this is where I give my co-host the floor to just t- talk about something that's bothering him or on his mind. Um, sometimes it's football-related, sometimes it's even fantasy-relevant. This is one of those weeks that I've heard a little bit about the situation, so I'm certainly uh, intrigued to what Nick says, and I think the fantasy will be waiting with bated breath to talk about what Nick's going to say here. Nick, what do you got for us? So I, along with every fantasy owner on earth, at times grew frustrated with the NFL's probable, questionable, and doubtful injury designations. But for the most part, they worked, or at least worked better than the new system is going to. Uh, The NFL said that 95% of players listed as probable ended up playing, which, uh, if you're probable, that's probably right around what the number should be. But they got rid of the probable designation. So now, if it's over 50% chance that a player can go, they're questionable, whether it's 50 55% 55% or a 95% chance, they're questionable. Uh, doubtful is a 1% to 49% chance. Uh, now, I think there's only two reasons for that this change would be made. Either one, the Shield, a.k.a. Roger Goodell, thinks that trickeration should not be limited to the playbook, fleece flickers, play action, and whatnot, but teams should be able to withhold injury information uh, to, for gamesmanship purposes. Or two, the league just hates us fantasy football owners uh, because you know that <laughs> head coaches are going to use this to their advantage. I would, too, if I were a head coach. So, you know, now half of the league, whether, again, they're 55% chance they're going to play, 
play or a 95% chance they're going to play. Half the league is going to be listed as questionable every single week. That's just not acceptable. I mean, with millions of dollars in Vegas and fantasy on the line, the NFL has an obligation to provide more worthwhile and accurate descriptions of players' chances of missing time than uh, 55 to 99% chance, who knows. You know, thankfully, many leagues these days run off a best ball format where your best scorers are automatically inserted. Uh, I hope that trend continues, especially if the NFL continues this uh, injury nonsense for more than more than just this season. Yeah, and especially considering that out here the games start at 7 a.m., so yay, now I have to wait until <laughs> 6 a.m. My entire lineup's going to be questionable. Great. Um, I did hear, I think there's somewhere where teams have to make an official announcement an hour before the game where their player's going to play now. Um, so maybe maybe that'll help, but that's only going to help in those early games. I mean, <laughs> if you have, you know, 90% of your lineup going in the early games and, oh, guess what, that one player you had slated for the second game uh, isn't going to play, you might not have anybody left on your bench. Uh, so that, that's a definite concern. But, yeah, very, very good points there. I just feel like it's I feel like it's kind of a lazy move. Obviously, it's not lazy to, to put the statement out and this is what we're going to do, but it's just like they just don't want to figure out what the difference between probable and questionable is anymore. They don't want to see, look at the percentages and probability. And, and maybe the NFL did this to make it easier on teams, but it's not easier on us fantasy owners. And, uh, you know, fantasy is a huge part of why the NFL is the most popular sport in the world. So uh, don't don't do this anymore. Don't quit making moves to affect us. We, we, we appreciate the league for what it is. And we have a lot of fun playing this uh, fantasy game. And like Nick said, I mean, maybe, maybe this is a big, uh, a big middle finger to Vegas and they, they want, they want this to affect them too. And I, I just don't know how, how it will, will affect them in the long run, but it's, it's certainly not going to, to help matters. I don't know if they're going to help them, Maybe, I think it probably would help them win more money. So maybe, I don't know. We'll have to get our in-guy uh, in um, ATS guy to check to, to let us know, in-season ATS guy to let us know more on that. But uh, very, very solid point there because it's, it's a huge issue that's going to affect fantasy owners. And I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, on the best ball format, in case you aren't familiar with that, like Nick said, it basically figures out your optimal lineup every week and in way that way that might seem a little bit lazy for guys like me and Nick that are in more than just a handful of leagues that it's it's certainly nice to have a couple of those where you don't have to think about that um every week so um granted they're they're not as fun and if you don't like that you can blame the NFL not not blame us for uh, bringing it up so um it's time for a couple bold predictions Nick um I've been pretty bullish on where I, where I stand on this matter, but I, I what if, what if Arian Foster actually plays in 14 games this year, Nick? Odd hush. What do you think? I don't think you're right. I really hope you're right because if he does, that's going to give me a really good shot at being a repeat champion in one of my leagues. But uh, it's just really hard for me to see happening. But it would be great to see him have one last final hurrah as a as a great fantasy running back. Yes, this is a uh, bold with uh, capital B <laughs> emblazoned bold in letters. Arian Foster will play in 14 games this year. Uh, 
Travis Benjamin, the forgotten wide receiver in San Diego. Who cares about James Jones and his 39-year-old <laughs> legs? Uh, Travis Benjamin's going to find the end zone 10 times, double digits. Am I crazy there? I think so. I mean, maybe if uh, if uh, Antonio Gates were to get hurt, uh, that that could open things up for some more red zone targets. But it just seems like the majority of uh, Philip Rivers' red zone targets just get vacuumed up by the by the old tight end there. Oh, I wasn't talking about red zone targets. They're going to be like all like over thirty five yards. This is, he's <laughs> going to be he's going to be the deep threat of all deep threats. I just feel. I, as somebody who dropped him in the preseason last year and obviously ultimately regretted it, uh, I think he slips into a good situation. I'm glad – I'm not glad, but I'm glad Steve Johnson's out of – Stevie Johnson's out of the picture because this is going to benefit Travis Benjamin. I think he's going to – he's going to really fulfill that uh, that deep threat role, and that's going to help Keenan Allen owners too. So I, I, don't, I don't see uh, Benjamin as a guy that's going to – you know, get a thousand yards, but he's a guy that's going to get 40, 40, 50 catches and have that, you know, over 15 yards per catch and score 10 touchdowns over 35 yards. Um, I just, he's the forgotten man. And I know, well, that depends a lot on the San Diego offensive line actually doing something. Um, But uh, let's face it, their defense isn't stopping. So they're going to be throwing that ball all over the place. Um, any thoughts on uh, moving forward? Uh, what quarterbacks should we be owning? Nick, any thoughts there? Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, first off, I would go with either Josh McCown or Cody Kessler, uh, whoever ends up being the number two in Cleveland. Right now, I think McCown is listed as the number two on our labs. You know, Robert Griffin, I hope, becomes uh, the player that we all thought he would be back in 2012. But his recent history isn't that great. It doesn't really suggest that's going to happen. And if he does get benched, you know, either McCown or Kessler could be throwing to uh, Josh Gordon by then. So I think those could be uh, high upside guys that won't cost you a lot to get right now. Uh, yeah, that's a good statement. And I hate to jump on all over the bandwagon, especially since I warned people that it's just a preseason last year, but I had the t- a pleasure to sit down and watch most of Dak Prescott snaps the other night against Miami. Man, he looks good. Uh, and I know I'm not the only person out there saying this, and it is the preseason, but that deep ball he threw to, to Bryce Butler was <laughs> insanity. That was such a veteran throw, and he's hitting – He's throwing the ball in some tight windows, too. Um, if you're a Tony Romo owner and you're not throwing this guy on your bench, especially in dynasty formats, I don't I don't know if he should be playing fantasy football because that is – he is the ultimate handcuff as far as for me because we know Romo's injury history. He hasn't been labeled the number two yet, but let's face it, after what he's done in the preseason and the time they've spent grooming him, I think, already, that's he's the future there. I don't uh, he looks so poised. I think they've they've cleaned cleaned up his game quite a bit. He just looks so poised and focused in the pocket. And granted, I like I said, I sat down and watched most of his snaps the other night, so I, it's it's hard not to be impressed with what he did. Obviously, Dallas just murdered Miami that night, but uh, it, and it is just a preseason. But I really like what I saw out of Dak Prescott there. Nick. Not good news for Redskins fans. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Prescott did re- look really good, and I thought about putting him on there, but I just thought that would be too easy at this point. Pretty much uh, <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows about him at this point, so I didn't go with him or any of the other higher-drafted rookies because those are those are no-brainers. Carson Wentz is a backup, but he's a must-own in every league. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit deeper here and uh, go with Tom Savage in Houston. Uh, he definitely looks the part, and he could see playing time if Brock Osweiler struggles, which, you know, if you watch Osweiler in Denver last year, he wasn't it wasn't great. So, uh, and plus the Texans do have a long history of starting multiple quarterbacks in a season. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Savage got in there at some point. Okay. Has, has he played much this preseason? Uh, he played a little bit uh, last week, yep. Huh. Interesting. I wasn't sure he was still a thing. Um, I'm going to go a different route, and I'm going to go look at another another uh, big-name quarterback here in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Brett Hundley has looked fairly decent so far in the preseason. Granted, like I said, just a preseason, but we know in the past that Green Bay's had great, great uh, success developing a backup quarterback, and I think if Rodgers was to were to go down this year, um, obviously we'll see a, a huge waiver push for Hunley. Dynasty owners, I think you might want to you might want to grab him. I know Rodgers isn't necessarily a spring chicken. I know he could have eight years left in this league, but uh, uh, I, and that might you know that's not going to be to Hunley's benefit. But I I feel like he is maybe ahead of schedule from where they thought. So I think he's a guy that you can count on, and I think he's a guy that could actually. Uh, Run a little bit too if if they need him. We've seen Rodgers, you know, run for some first downs. I think Hunley's probably a little bit quicker, quicker footed there. So uh, maybe a quick, more of a quick twitch athlete there. So I I, I like that, and I think that he's uh, progressing well there with the uh, with the Green Bay Packers there. Any any thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, definitely. If Aaron Rodgers were to go down, Hundley would be a would be an interesting play there with uh, with the talent surrounding him. Uh, figuring Jordy Nelson's healthy, obviously, and Randall Cobb and uh, Jared Cook, the reports are pretty decent out on uh, this week. So yeah, Hundley would be a very interesting play. And wouldn't Jimmy Garoppolo be more obvious than Dak Prescott? <laughs> oh, for sure. But as far as week one, Garoppolo is <laughs> not a backup. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I do want to say, you know, I was really mad at Alan Satterley for drafting my, uh, my, uh, rookie handcuff running back in Darius Jackson there for Dallas. But like I said, Alfred Morris has been looking pretty good. And because he got Jackson, that means I took Prescott. So, Hey, maybe, maybe I got a nice, uh, a nice piece for, uh, the future there with, uh, Mr. Uh, Dak Prescott. So I'm happy to be owning a share of his. Well, Nick, I thought about moving this to the middle or of the show, but I was like, oh, let's just keep it at the end, just in case we lose viewers at the end, because the number 45, eh, I think I think it's probably best served as my son's hockey number. I don't know if there's been really, some really good number 45s in the NFL history. What do you think? Well, you're, you're right. It is a pretty short list. We'll start with a couple of running backs whose names you might remember. Uh, T.J. Duckett ran for 44 touchdowns from 2002 through 2008 with Atlanta, Washington, Detroit, and Seattle. And former Pittsburgh and Jacksonville running back Chris Fuamatu Maafala quite possibly has the coolest name ever in the NFL. Uh, speaking of cool names, or at least nicknames, Speedy Duncan was a four-time Pro Bowl kicker and punt returner for San Diego and Washington from 1964 through 74 and also played some cornerback as well. 
Palmer Jones was a two-time Pro Bowler for the Giants from 1964 through 1969 and finished his career in Cleveland in 1970. Uh, Jones went over 1,000 yards in three straight years from 1966 through 68 and in uh, 67 led the NFL with 13 receiving touchdowns. Uh, longtime Seahawks fans undoubtedly remember safety Kenny Easley, who made the Pro Bowl in five of his seven seasons from 1981 through 1987. And in 1984, Kenny Easley led the league with ten interceptions. Two of those returned for touchdowns. Uh, former Oregon Duck Dave Grayson began his career with the Dallas Texans in 1961 and moved with the team in 1963 uh, when they became the Kansas City Chiefs, where he played for two more years before going to Oakland for his final six seasons. Grayson went to six Pro Bowls, and not only could he get interceptions, he had 48 career picks, uh, including a league-leading 10 interceptions in 1968, but he was also a playmaker with the ball in his hands. His 933 interception return yards is still good for 16th of all time. Now, our, or at least my top number 45 of all time, didn't go to as many Pro Bowls as some of these other finalists. He never led the league in interceptions. But strong safety Gary Fensick did go to two Pro Bowls over his 12-year career with Chicago. And unlike most of these guys, he has a Super Bowl ring. And being part of what may be the best single-season defense we've ever seen in Buddy Ryan's dreaded 4-6 defense in that 1985 season, you know, since this is a team sport, I'm going to give the award to a very good player in Fensick who was one of many key pieces to one of the greatest units of all time. What do you think about that, Josh? Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Fensick, a 10th-round pick in 1976 uh, by the Dolphins, never played there when ended up spending his entire – career with, with Chicago from 76 to 87. What, I mean, what, uh, you know, uh, Ivy League guy, a Yale grad, and what a, he was a huge piece of the back end of that defense. You know, him and Dave Dewerson were, you know, they were, they aren't necessarily known nowadays, but they were household names back then because they were, they were the back end of that defense. And I, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. A guy that could just play, uh, play safety and just, just really, be be something that uh, they needed. Um, did you mention Ed Shaw Rockman? <laughs> uh, uh, I did not. He great. just missed the cut, actually. Speaking of nicknames, he was named Bozo. Uh, spent all of his career with the Vikings from 61 to 72. Had 40 career interceptions. So, uh, not a bad. And somebody who's pretty up on Vikings history. I don't know if I've ever heard that name. So, I was uh, interesting to read about him. Um, and I did want to bring up, uh, as I love to, the least number important, number 45 of all time. There is three three rookies that are wearing the number on this list. But I, or excuse me, four rookies. Uh, but I think Dion Jones is certainly going to be a little bit more more worthy than Mr. Jim Yarborough, who wore number 80, number 45 in 1987, a defensive back for the New York Giants, and appeared in three games there. So the uh, Murray State product. Jim Yarborough is the least important number 45, uh, but yeah, not a strong uh, number at all. So hopefully we'll get a bit, a little bit more. Uh, good, good, good talk on the TJ Duckett though. He was, he was a beast there for a while, but he'll always be remembered to me in fantasy football lore for fumbling when uh, Diana was trying to run out the clock. Um, on a Thanksgiving game, and I ended up – he fumbled, like, in the last play of the game. I ended up losing my matchup by one point. Granted, it was the first week, first game of the week, but I lost my matchup by one point. Now, I always remember that pointless fumble that he did on, 
on uh, Thanksgiving because I lost by one point and it was a negative negative two points there. So, damn you, TJ Duckett. Uh, and don't don't forget about Marcel Reese. Just because Oakland refuses to use him <laughs> doesn't mean he's not a great player. Um, he's a he's a solid piece to that offensive system, and I. He's maybe getting a little too old for Oakland to use him now. Geez, he's already 31 years old. Can you believe that? Seems like he should not be that old. But uh, use him this year, Oakland. He's a good player. 6'3", 240 pounds, just pounder. Could be a nice short yardage play for these guys. But uh, And he can catch the ball. Uh, let's say Keith Byers Jr. if Oakland actually played him. So uh, that is all we have for you this week. Um Next week, I I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but we will have a podcast. I don't, believe it or not, have anything planned or even a guest lined up. So we, uh, I'm sure we'll figure out something to talk about as the NFL season is just a couple weeks away there. So uh, I know I know I got a redraft league coming up the following week, the day before the podcast. So maybe Nick can help me get prepared for that. But uh, um, oh, and did you mention Barry Wilburn, the Washington Redskins defensive back? Nick, speaking of best number forty-five. Uh, I did not, you know, and he did lead, lead uh, the league in interceptions one year back in 1987, but uh, he, he got picked on a little bit when Daryl Green is uh, covering the other side of the field. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he was he was certainly a player that I remembered from my childhood. When I thought of the best number 45, he was, for some reason, the first person uh, that popped into my head there. So, uh, uh, But we'll still give it to Gary Benzik. Um Any closing thoughts there, Nick? Um. Week three of the preseason, this is uh, kind of the, the run-through, so most starters will be playing the first half. I just hope everybody stays healthy. Knock on wood. That was me knocking on wood in case you didn't hear it. Um, I want to send out a special thanks to my uh, children and three nieces that are actually in the room below me. They were extremely quiet during this whole podcast. So I, thought, I thought for sure with – five kids in my house that we would have a disturbance, but I want to want to send a shout out to them being quiet, even though they're not hearing me right now. Um, in fact, now that I think about it, maybe they're too quiet. <laughs> uh, maybe I should go check out what's going on. <laughs> but anyway, this has been the Dynasty Post. Uh, Nick, as always, pleasure, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for listening, folks, and we will have lots of fun planned for you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Nikki, Gil, Gil, and Dr. Johnson. Diana, people.